Hi, everyone. This is Zaid Malhis, co-host of the Pulse podcast. Our guest today is Misha Palachek. Misha currently serves as the Chief Transformation Officer for DaVita Kidney Care, a leading provider of kidney health services for more than 250,000 patients globally. Misha joined DaVita in 2005 and has stood up several ventures under the DaVita umbrella, including serving as president of Paladina, a startup primary care business affiliated with DaVita. In Misha's current role, he's focused on business growth through strategic value-based care partnerships, mergers and acquisitions, joint venture partnerships, and care delivery innovations across the kidney care continuum. Misha and I talk about several topics in this episode, including his journey to becoming a leader in the healthcare space, the ongoing transformation DaVita is going through as a value-based care organization, and the challenges and obstacles the industry must overcome in order to fully support patients. I'm especially excited about this episode as I started my career at DaVita, working with their internal pop health management consulting group to support fee-for-service to value-based care transformation projects, and hope you enjoy my conversation with Misha as much as I did. Hey, Misha, thanks for joining. Thanks for having me, Zaid. Absolutely. So in true The Pulse Podcast fashion, we ask every guest that comes on an icebreaker question, and that's, what did you want to be when you grew up? Yeah, I've shared this recently with my boys. So when I was young, really young, less than 10, I always wanted to be a gardener. Um, I enjoyed being outside. And specifically, I liked watching people with chainsaws and pruning trees. So that was specifically what I wanted to be. And then in my teenage years, I uh, played a lot of tennis. And so I wanted to be a professional tennis player uh, during my teenage years. Amazing. So from gardening to tennis and now healthcare and DaVita, curious as to what that trajectory or journey was like in which you ended up within healthcare specifically. And then obviously we'll jump and talk a little bit about DaVita more. Yeah. Well, I grew grew up in uh, the greater San Francisco area. And so I grew up um, sort of in the technology Silicon Valley where um, that was all the rage, obviously leading up to to 2000 when I was in college. And um, I had this amazing uh, AP biology teacher in high school who got me really interested in the human body. And I decided that the human body is the most fascinating computer you could ever study and be a part of. And so in undergrad, I was a um, human biology major and I was, I thought about doing pre-med. I ended up deciding that going the medical school path wasn't, wasn't what I wanted to do. But when I graduated from college uh, and I, tr- I tried playing tennis for a little bit, that didn't work out, but I knew I wanted to stay in healthcare. So back in the nineties, all my friends were selecting, you know, technology jobs, technology investment, banking, and MA, and I chose healthcare. And I'm pretty sure I was the only kid who chose it and wasn't actually selected into it. And then uh, when I went to business school, I said that I wanted to work in one of two fields, either healthcare, because I thought there was a lot to do in healthcare um, and a lot of opportunity in healthcare, and or the second area that I thought would be really interesting over the next 30, 40 years would be energy. And specifically, I was really interested in renewable energy. But I obviously, uh, I chose healthcare. Yeah, no, that's amazing. And what a time to choose healthcare. Obviously, so much has happened over the last uh, two decades or so. And we'll dive into a little bit of that. Um, Along that journey, you joined DaVita in the year 2005, if I'm correct. Um, And obviously, that was maybe one can say in the early stages of DaVita as we know it today, um, having become DaVita in the year 2000. Interested in hearing about why DaVita specifically, and then if you can tell us a bit about DaVita for those who are unfamiliar, which I'm, I don't think is that many people, 
Um, but tell us about Davida. How did it start and how has it evolved since you've joining it? Yeah, let me start maybe with uh, with Davida. So Davida is a kidney care provider and we uh, work to manage the health of patients who have kidney disease, both from upstream when their kidneys first start to degrade, what's called chronic kidney disease, and then downstream, which is in 2005, really what we were doing is dialysis. So when you when your kidneys end up totally losing function, you need renal replacement therapy, and you can either get that through a transplant and or you have to do dialysis to clean your blood. And so that's what that's what Davida does. And we can talk about that evolution from a dialysis company to a more holistic kidney care company, which is what we are today. And then for me and how I ended up at Davida was very unplanned. Uh, and there wasn't any kind of mastermind thing. In fact, I didn't know what Davida was when the search firm reached out to me and was looking for a director of special projects reporting to the CEO at the time. It was Kent Theory. And uh, after about 18 interviews, uh, I decided to join Davida. And the main reason I joined was, was because of the people at the time. Um, I wasn't 100% sure that nephrology and dialysis was where I wanted to spend my career in healthcare. But uh, 19, 18, 19 years later, here I am. Yeah, there you go. And I can, I mentioned this a little bit earlier in the episode, but as I've you know started my career at Davida and spent some time there, I can attest to how important the people in the culture were. And so that totally makes sense. And Obviously, that has continued to grow and become even a more important part of the company over the last two decades or so. You alluded to this a little bit, and I kind of want to jump into it right away. And the topic today and the focus of this podcast in general, and that's the transition to value-based care. And um, when most people think about value-based care, they think of primary care, they think of maybe some specialty care areas, but there's this focus on the PCP. And so Davida um, nephrology dialysis doesn't come to mind right away. But we know, at least in the last couple of years, specifically in the end of 2020, CMS announced that it had finalized the ESRD treatment choices or the ETC model to improve or maintain the quality of care and reduce Medicare expenditures for patients with CKD. And so it put more of a spotlight on patients with ESRD. And obviously, Davida has rode that wave to an extent over the last couple of years in terms of that transition. Interested in hearing your thoughts about how Davida has worked or um, is planning on working or is working right now within this space to kind of ride that wave as well as assist in the transition to value-based care for patients suffering from CKD or ESRD, as you'd refer to it? Yeah. Well, let me take a, a little bit of a step back, Zaid, and say that it, it is a lot of people talk about primary care when they think about value-based care. And there are certain specialties that I think are particularly well set up to do value-based care for that population. And I think nephrology is certainly one of them. And what I tell, when I talk about with our team in terms of a successful value-based care program, I always talk about the first thing you have to do is engage the patient. If you don't engage the patient, if you can't contact the patient, you can't change their care plan, you can't change their hopefully path to, to being healthy. And, and so dialysis companies in particular have an opportunity to work more holistically to manage patients because they spend, if they're dialyzing in center, they spend 12 hours a week in our dialysis centers. And so it sort of becomes a natural medical home for those patients and you have great access to them. And so therefore you can have really good interventions with very high engagement rates of those patients. And from there, we started thinking and expanding into, okay, there's a lot of things that are happening in kidney care in the U.S., 
that it's too late when they need dialysis. So you have to move upstream in order to start intervening earlier to slow the progression and then smooth out the transition if, unfortunately, a patient has to eventually get renal replacement therapy. And so that was the idea. I I think DeVita recognized very early on that there was this opportunity in nephrology specifically to take advantage of that in uh, the value-based care space. And then I would add, you appropriately sort of pointed out that one of the catalysts in the nephrology space was the chronic kidney disease models that were issued by the uh, Trump administration under CMMI. But I would offer two more really important catalysts that have triggered this very, very rapid evolution in value-based care for kidney patients. Um, So one was the, the executive order. The second one was there was an important law that was passed, which for the first time allowed um, specifically ESKD, so end-stage renal disease patients, to choose um, Medicare Advantage plans. The combination of that with the growth of Medicare Advantage uh, started to um, encourage more Medicare Advantage insurance companies to talk to us about, hey, how can we do more value-based care versus just fee-for-service relationships? So that was the second one. And the third one, which is, I think, less talked about, but very, very important, was that the executive order also came with safe harbors. And so the first, for the first time in for DeVita, we were able to work much more closely with our nephrologists. And because they're downstream, we're downstream referral partners with them, before the safe harbors were established, there was all kinds of really hard barriers for us to be able to work and collaborate and partner with nephrologists. And now it's a totally different world. Um, in terms of how we can embed and help them in their practices and take the downside risk and really work together to to improve patient care. Absolutely. I appreciate that insight there over kind of the several, the multifaceted approach to it. You mentioned there something that I think is very interesting. Obviously, the impact on the patient is huge in terms of it being more preventative or proactive, but there is a huge emphasis on the shift in VBC and what it means for physicians as well as what does it look like for someone like DeVita to come in and act as the facilitator between the physician and every other arm that's required within value-based care. So I'm thinking about tech integration. I'm thinking about data acquisition. I'm thinking about that care coordination. What does that, I suppose, effective collaboration or facilitation of kidney care in general for DeVita look like within a value-based care universe uh, in terms of partnering with the physician, but then obviously going outside of that and looking at all the different elements or arms as well? Look, kidney patients are incredibly sick. They have a lot of comorbid conditions. If they end up in uh, end-stage renal disease, uh, they typically have five or more comorbid conditions. And it takes a team to care for these patients. It starts with the nephrologist as the quarterback, but then you know we have social workers, we have dietitians, uh, nurse practitioners, care coordinators, med reconciliation, and a lot of different specialists as well. Um, 50% of our patients typically have diabetes, so endocrinologists play a really important role. Typically, the kidney is associated with cardiovascular disease, so you're working with cardiologists. And then let's not forget about how important primary care is. This all starts earlier than the patients typically get referred to the nephrologist. So there's a lot that primary care can do. And um, you had on your podcast the CEO of Validate. We have a partnership with Validate and value-based care works really, really well when you have primary care docs who are coordinating with the nephrologists to manage the the progression of of this disease. 
And then, and then I would say I, I wouldn't want to leave out. And I think this is why I get so excited about value-based care specifically in kidney, which is that you need the payers as well. Um, and then the health systems are incredibly important. And so all of a sudden, all these people that I just talked about were all aligned in the same sort of objective and mission. And it just creates a really beautiful space to try to do the right thing in American healthcare. And we're starting to see it happen. And maybe I'll add one more thing, which is, and it's hard to organize all these people. And so it's a journey. I always talk about this doesn't happen overnight. This is gonna have some challenges and you want long-term partnerships with people who are dedicated to the long-term partnership because every year we're gonna get better as we try to organize ourselves across all those different constituents. Absolutely. Uh, and to your point, in terms of coordinating across all these different players, whether it's the payer, whether it's the provider, which kind of to be to access, whether it's the tech partner, what are some of the barriers I suppose to success there? Like as you're going through this transition itself, what are some of the issues that you, you have, you're either running into, foresee running into, and then how do you think about circumventing and overcoming those in order to get to the successful and final collaboration? Back in the 1980s, hypertension was known as sort of the silent killer, right? It's an asymptomatic chronic condition that people lived with. And over time, it creates a lot of damage. And then downstream, you know, it leads to um, increased healthcare costs. And there was a big initiative in the United States to start bringing awareness to hypertension. And now anyone who's ever been to a primary care office or for that matter, any type of a physician appointment, the first thing they do, right, Zade, is they put a blood pressure cuff on you and they check your blood pressure. And so we've, we've done a reasonably good job of bringing the awareness around it. Well, chronic kidney disease is very much the same thing. It's asymptomatic. And oftentimes, if you go into a room, even with DeVita teammates, and you say, who here knows the typical measure of how your kidneys are doing is called an EGFR. Who here knows where your EGFR is? Not a lot of hands go up. And so one of the things that's happening in, in U.S. kidney care is that it's still today true that 50% of patients who end up needing renal replacement therapy or dialysis had no idea that their kidneys were actually getting worse. And so, you know, people are talking about access issues to primary care and healthcare deserts. This is part of the problem upstream, which is if you don't get access to primary care and you don't have a primary care physician who's invested in taking the labs to find out if you have a kidney issue and then making the right referral and the right interventions, then it's too late. I mean, you're going to have an acute condition and you're going to end up in dialysis, which is the wrong way to do kidney care. And so the thing that we're trying to do with our efforts is to partner with the nephrologists to start working more upstream, to work with primary care physicians, to work with the insurance companies to help us get access to the lab data and to the patient data to identify patients before it's too late so we can actually have interventions that are meaningful in their, in their care journey. Absolutely. One thing that you mentioned there, and I know is a huge emphasis uh, within both value-based care and DaVita in general, is that patient experience component. Part of the broader entry or transition to value-based care, the emphasis on ensuring that the patient is, one, empowered to be part of their care journey or rather care experience, as well as informed of what is going on is integral. What does that look like? for DeVita's patients and for really chronic kidney disease or ACOD patients? It's a, it's a great question, Zay. I think the patient experience 
uh, aspect of value-based care and how engaged they are in the model is a really big challenge to, to try to get it right. And part of that challenge is because different you got to meet patients where they want to be met. And there's a spectrum of how much information patients and their family and caregivers want. And so first is just trying to understand where they want to be. Second is that they're, you know, even in the CKCC models that we're working with the government, there are certain measures that they put out that are supposed to indicate activation of the patient in the care model. And I would submit to you that um, it's moving in the right direction, but we still have a ways to go to perfect of the measurements of how engaged our patients really in their care journey. And I think ultimately what's going to be an indication of success is that patients can actually change the course of their health because they are going to eat differently and they are going to sleep differently and they are going to think about their weight differently. And we're experimenting with partners on there's certain companies around incentive, maybe there's incentives or, you know, like data on your watch. Can that motivate some people or, you know, engaging your sister or brother, or family caregiver, will that uh, change the way they think about the course of their health. And so I think that we have a long ways to go to understand where do you, how do you get that patient experience depending on where they're on the spectrum and and how do we continue to make, and ultimately, I guess I'll just say the ultimate sign of what's going to happen is whether or not their journey on their health is is improved. Absolutely. You mentioned something there, and we actually talked a little bit about this earlier and when I come back to it, and it's this idea of partnering with potentially different players or verticals across the industry in order to provide a more comprehensive version of value-based care. Davidas obviously have had several partnerships in the past. Wondering what you think effective collaboration looks like in value-based care partnerships. Yeah, that's a great question. I think it starts with data. So effective value-based care partnership means that the partners, whoever they are, whether it's a health system, a payer, a nephrologist, um, other subspecialties is you have to be able to communicate um, back and forth on data around the patient and when they interact with the system, with with the health system. And so, and that takes a lot of work in, in healthcare, as you know, but we're making some good progress on it. And one of the things that we've been able to do is with a customized nephrology EHR, I think it really does help uh, when you have unified platforms across as many of the partners as you possibly can, because it just makes the data flow a lot easier. I think the second piece, in addition to the data, is the integrated workflows. Um, in, in particular, it becomes really interesting as you move upstream into CKD patients, which is how do you work together with your nephrology partner when a patient comes into their CKD clinic to start to support the patient beyond what the nephrologist was doing in their clinic in a fee-for-service world and surround them with the care team, the nurse practitioner, their care coordinator, in order to execute on what that nephrologist needs to provide holistic care for that patient. And then I would just say it's really, really important, the health systems in, in kidney in particular, because our patients end up in the hospital quite frequently. They tend to have very high readmission rates up above 30%. As you know, it's uh, in the 20s and sometimes in the teens for well-managed Medicare Advantage populations. And so the partnerships with health systems 
um, and ensuring that when our patients end up in their EDs and, and being admitted to the hospitals, that there's a coordinated effort between the health system, the nephrology office, and then, you know, either the dialysis clinic or the value-based care team that helps support that patient when they, when they leave the hospital. And I might add, Davida just started a, a concerted effort about two years ago around working more closely with post-acute care facilities. It turns out that 20% of uh, patients who need dialysis end up being discharged to post-acute facilities. And so there's a lot of patients in the post-acute facility. So that's another piece of the continuum that you want to make sure that you're caring for as the patients are kind of navigating that. Absolutely. No, and that's an interesting tidbit there about kind of the different, to your point, the different pieces or stops along the care continuum. It sounds like data is kind of a big piece of it, but then the integration across all of those from a workflow perspective is incredibly important. And I know that that's an ever-present challenge for any player within the industry. Along with that, I guess, is a, as you think about everything that Davida is working on right now, as well as this general transformation towards value-based care, um, I'd love to hear your thoughts about what the next five or 10 years look like within kidney care and as part of the broader kind of value-based care transformation work. Well, that, that's a great question. So the next five to 10 years in kidney care, maybe I'll start with, I do think that one of the big changes over the last five years has been the access to big data and then the ability to use predictive algorithms and AI in order to identify patients who need the most resources during their care journey. And so it's really interesting. If you think about a primary care group that's taking risk on a general population, typically what you'll see in their predictive algorithms is that most ESKD and a lot of late-stage CKD patients will pop up as high-risk patients that they need to care for. Whereas what we've been able to do, because we specialize in kidney patients, is that our predictive algorithms look at the 20% of end-stage renal disease patients or late-stage CKD patients, and we can identify those that are most likely to end up in the hospital or most likely to have some sort of a transition event and specifically pinpoint our resources towards those patients. And so we get very specific with that, and that allows the return on the return on the investment of you know, expensive care teams that are making some of these interventions. And so I think to your question around what's going to happen over the next five to 10 years, I believe that there will be more of that and the predictive algorithms will get more precise. My aspiration and vision would be that we have a lot fewer crashers because we're coordinating with primary care a lot more closely. I would uh, hope that we you start to see networks that include beyond nephrologists, invested endocrinologists, cardiologists, and the health systems in these local kidney networks that are working to sort of surround patients and, and improve their care. And I, I think that aligns beautifully with uh, the next question that I wanted to ask you is that obviously you're a leader in an innovative space kind of within the healthcare spectrum or industry in general. Many of those listening, as well as many of us in business school, as well as actually anyone kind of within working or working within healthcare organizations right now is wondering what does it take or look like in order to transform our businesses to this value-based care world? And so wondering, kind of as a leader within the space, what advice do you have for other organizations as well as individuals working to transform to value-based care specifically, but transform our healthcare system in general? Maybe the, the thing that I've learned in value-based care is, and I mentioned this earlier, is that it is a journey and it is hard. There's a lot of... Um, 
institutionalized ways that healthcare is delivered in the United States. And it's really hard to just flip a switch and, and think that it's going to be different. And so it takes hard work um, and it's going to take time. And so having a long-term orientation perhaps would be the first thing that I would say. Mm-hmm. Maybe the second thing that I would say is having a partnership orientation. Nobody can do this on their own. Davida can't do it on their own. Nephrologists aren't going to do it on their own. The payers aren't going to do it on their own. It's the system that we talked about that's critical and finding ways to make it work for each of the partners and, and ultimately have, have the same focus, which is we're trying to improve the health of our, of our patients and, and kidneys specifically slow the progression and, and make their lives better if they need renal replacement therapy. So long-term orientation uh, would be one. And then the second one would be a focus on partnerships. Absolutely. Appreciate the advice there. Um, along with that, you know, if you were to take yourself back to business school, um, I know it's only been a couple of years since then, <laughs> but um, what advice would you share with current B-School students who are listening as well as trying to begin their careers within healthcare? But let me just say, it hasn't been only a couple of years. My reunion <laughs> is coming up next week. There you go. I remember when I was in school and seeing reunion week and thinking to myself, oh my gosh, those people are all, well, I guess I'm one of those people now. Um <laughs> My advice would be, you know, you spend, what, 50, 60, maybe more hours a week at your job. And so if you're going to spend that much time doing it, make sure you pick people, The pe- start with the people. You want to work with people that are building the right culture, that have the right mindset, that value the what you're bringing to the table, um, and that sort of have the right, that are aligned with with your values. And one of the, I guess, benefits that we all have for those of us who are choosing healthcare is that there's very few healthcare companies, I would argue, that don't have a purpose-driven mission, right? I mean, you'd you'd really have to be a pretty cutthroat fee-for-service healthcare company to say, I'm just trying to, you know, get at the financials and I don't have a purpose-driven job. And so if you if you take that as a given, which is we're all going into healthcare because we want to make things better for patients, for physicians, for the system, then that's where I go to choose your career path based on a value fit, a culture fit, a people fit, uh, because it'll make things a lot easier when you're taking on very hard challenges over the next decade, if you're doing with people that you're aligned with. And I, I would say one of the reasons I'm you know, people ask me, man, you've been in Vita for a long time. And I think I'm probably on the outlier, you know, on the bell curve, I'm probably on the outlier for my business school class. And uh, I've had a lot of different jobs over the last 19 years. It hasn't all been value-based care. As you started out at the beginning of the show, it was fee for service when I started, but it's, it's the people in the culture. Um, and we've gotten to a place where it's been an amazing change uh, as we've moved towards really bringing value-based care to the forefront of kidney. And that's pretty exciting. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate the advice and insights, Misha, and I appreciate you joining us today. This was a fantastic discussion, and I'm sure many will appreciate our listening. So thanks again for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Zay. Very grateful for it, and uh, thanks so much. 